Welcome to another edition of Revealing the Diamond. I'm your host, Tiago Prem, and this week on the show, we continue our exploration in the Bhagavad Gita with Chapter 8. If you uh, haven't seen the previous episodes, I'd invite you to just go back and listen to them. They're all wherever you listen to uh, your podcasts. So if you listen on Spotify or you listen on uh, Apple or wherever it is, um, just a reminder that we are on chapter eight. So all the previous episodes are available there. And I also want to let you know that these are posted temporarily uh, until we run our Tattvas 2 program. So uh, if you're interested in Tattvas Yoga Studies uh, and interested in further opportunities to study with me, you can now go to Tattvas, that's T-A-T-T-A-T-T-V-A-S yoga.com as well as my regular tiagoprem.com. But if you go to tatvasyoga.com, and I'll put that in the show notes as well for you all, um, you can find everything that we're doing there. The full online program where you can do the full level one there, uh, upcoming workshops, including in Victoria, B.C., September 23rd and 24th. Uh, Tawasan, B.C., coming up on the 30th of September, and Kelowna, B.C., happening. Uh, I'll be there from October 14th to the 23rd, uh, and lots more to come beyond that, not to mention a Yoga Sutras course happening in October. Um, so lots happening. Oh, yes, and online classes. We're going to start doing online classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. So lots of opportunities to explore the Tatva's Yoga Studies program. And if that's something that speaks to you, I would invite you to uh, reach out. And if if that's too much information and you can't remember um, you know, all of it, I totally understand uh, other options are to send me an email at tiagoprem at tiagoprem.com or DM me on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on there as well. So lots to think about. This The program is going amazing. The sequence uh, for Tapas 1 is amazing. The sadhana practice for it is amazing. I have a new transcreation of uh, Yoga Sutras, which is also very powerful and the teaching online has been great. The teaching in person has been great. I'm, I'm feeling very inspired. So uh, if you would like to uh, be on that journey with me, walking side by side, feeling great, and, um, you know, really honoring yoga during this time, like I think, I think we really need yoga. And I don't know about you, but where I live, like people sort of forgot that and tried to push yoga uh, to the outside and marginalize it and and use different language because, you know, you didn't want to offend anyone or whatever it might be. Um, and in doing so, we really watered down the practice. And I feel like a lot of folks that I talk to are like, all right, I want it. I want it back. And I want it even more potent and even more um, integrated and, and offered as a holistic practice. And so uh, that is a general um, vibe that I'm hearing. And I'm really looking forward to uh, being able to share that with you in the near future, whether it's online or in person. All right. And so I guess from there, it is time to get into the show. So this week on the show, we are exploring chapter eight of the Bhagavad Gita. And in, at the end of chapter seven, uh, we end with Krishna saying, 
that liberation comes to those who see Krishna in the entire cosmos, essentially. And he says, and in the Adi Buddha and the Adi Deva and the Adi Yajya. And <laughs> unless you're, you know, really know your Krishna and really know your yoga philosophy, those are probably big words that you are unfamiliar with. Um, and, and so we'll break them down. But just before we break those words down in, into English for uh, us English-speaking uh, yogis, um, he also says that those who remember me at the time of death, which is also what we talk about in chapter 8. So I just want to lay that out. So he says, liberation comes to those who see Krishna in the entire cosmos and in the Adi Buddha and in the Adi Veda, uh, excuse me, in the Adi Deva and also in the Adi Yajya and those who remember me at the time of death. And that's sort of like a, that's like a foreword. It's a foreshadowing. It's a foretelling of, of what we're going to get into in uh, chapter eight. And so the first word that we're going to look at is the Adibhuta. And the Adibhuta is the mother of all. It's the divine mother. It's material nature, mother nature. Uh, it's Prakriti. It is, and that also is the perishable body. So, you know, your unique uh, individual version of yourself that is, you know, your body and your legs and your arms and your uh, lungs and your, all of those things, they are um, impermanent. They're going to change form. You are going to die. Um, the, the mother her, herself is not going to die, uh, but your unique uh, manifestation and experience of it is going to pass and so that is your relationship to the mother it's your perishable body in relationship to the mother of all the divine mother the material nature or prakriti and then the other um, uh, word is the adi deva and the adi deva is the astral world uh, both as a whole and and also uh, the individual beings in it. Uh, it's the feeling of the presence of God or the great spirit or the great mystery uh, or imperishable spirit. It is uh, Purusha or, or consciousness, uh, the beyond, the beyond, you know, this this kind of thing. And and we talked about in previous episodes, I've also done some reels you know, on Instagram about these concepts, right? They Those are in for the soul uh, to be, to take impulse and to incarnate as your experience in this life. You, you're here to work through your karmas and live out your dharma in this reality. And the whole like uh, cosmic event that takes place for you to be able to do so is the merging of Prakriti, the Divine Mother, and Purush or Purk in the Sikh tradition, which is uh, consciousness um, or spirit. And those two uh, in union create a soul's impulse and you incarnate as the soul. And then that with the dense versions of your experience uh, in relationship to spirit and mother nature. And when I say dense versions, I'm talking about uh, your body and then your sense organs that allow you to perceive through the senses and those have a relationship to the mind, the sensory mind, uh, the ego mind, and then also the supreme intelligence mind or the mind of the Buddha. If that makes sense. <laughs> and the lots in there, isn't there? Uh, and, and then the third um, word is the adiyajya. And the adiyajya is God's presence known uh, intuitively in the world of cause and effect. So 
these are the karmic cycles or something like that. So um, it is the also seen as the internal sacrifice to the God within. It's the, an inner bowing. It's the um, it's sort of the notion that whatever is going to come is going to come, and I'm going to have faith that God is guiding me no matter what. Something like that. I like in the Sikh tradition the concept of hukum. You know, hukum is that there's a, a natural order to it all, and that natural order to it all is constantly at play, or they call it the divine leela, the play of Krishna. Um, and there, there are these laws of cause and effect that allow all of life to move at a particular rhythm, and the adiyajya is the internal sacrifice to the uh, the inner knowing um, that these ca- this cause and effect, this world of up and down, right and wrong, push and pull, uh, is exactly as it is meant to be, and uh, I trust that is the case, or something to that effect. So, you know, Krishna is saying, if you see me in the Divine Mother uh, and the perishable body, if you see me in the infinite consciousness or the spirit, uh, and if you see me in the sacrifice... Um, to the God within, within the uh, presence uh, that is never an absence, that is known intuitively in the world of cause and effect, uh, in the ca- in the karmic cycles of it all. Uh, in doing so, you will experience uh, liberation in this lifetime. Does that make sense? I mean, I know there's a lot in there, so <laughs> just to let's loop back through one more time. Liberation comes to those who see Krishna in the entire cosmos. And remember, we've talked about in previous episodes, if the word Krishna doesn't do it for you, he even says in it, it's like, I am beneath the surface of any of the upadis or containers of divinity. So it's like, call it Jesus, call it Divine Mother, call it Inner Knower, call it the Supreme Wahubi, like whatever you need to call it. Um, but it's really about the the devotion, the knowing that there is something beneath the surface of it all that is, uh, you know, like the old song, he's got the whole world in his hands, like that kind of a knowing. <laughs> so liberation comes to the one that sees the, you know, the the beloved in the entire cosmos, sees it in the uh, infinite aspect of nature, the Divine Mother that is constantly reproducing and giving birth, the Mother of all, the Divine Mother, and also in the perishable body. You know, this body that I have is not my body, it's on loan, and eventually it will return to the Mother. Okay, and then also sees it in the astral world as the whole and as also as the individual beings in it, all a part of of God's presence, all a part of the imperishable spirit, the supreme consciousness. It is in all of life. Okay, So sees Krishna also in that aspect. So Mother Nature and also the Great Spirit. And then also sees Krishna in the uh, you know intuitive uh, knowing and the, the presence of the world of cause and effect. So in the cycles of karma and in the internal sacrifice to God within in relationship to those cycles of karma or the inner knower. You know, it's like, I know I'm going to face these challenges because I'm alive, 
and I see God even in the challenges as well as in the blessings. And you've heard this on the podcast many, many times. I wear on my wrist the words of Guru Nanak, the great uh, sage and yogi, Baba Nanak Devji, the householder and first guru of the Sikh tradition, uh, you know, who said, Ad such a jugad such a hebi such a nanakahosi be such a, which is like, you are born infinite, you're infinite your whole life, you're infinite even now, and you will always be infinite. And that's with relationship to the karmic cycles and the hukkum. What is meant to be will be. And sometimes that's difficult for us to go, well, how can God be in that? I was listening to one of my teachers and mentors, Dr. Robert Swoboda, uh, this afternoon, and he was talking about his teacher, and I may get this wrong, but he said something to the effect of um, those who believe will never need proof, and those who don't uh, believe will, you know, will never be, it will never be proven. You know what I'm saying? like if you already know and there's a deep sense of knowing there's no need for proof and if you've already decided that it isn't true there's no proof that could be given to change your mind i, I kind of like that you know so and that's sort of the hookum part it's like and i know guru nanak talks about that in the japji sab i'll do a course at some point on the japji sab as well but he talks about you know uh, spiritual knowledge is not something that can be attained through uh, effort as much as it is just and you are naturally inclined towards it based on karmic cycles and then you show up for that and, and in some ways you think oh well that's not fair like what if I want that and did it well that's your ego talking what if what uh, you know where you are in relationship to it is perfect as you are. And so you kind of, the beauty of it is, is that you don't have to try and control everything. You can just let it unfold as it is. And then you think, oh, well, that's a little bit new agey. And it's like, yes, that's true. But also it's not saying that there isn't any effort. It's just saying that your effort may not have the same kind of, um, manipulative uh, power as your ego may uh, intend to convince you of something to that effect right it's like there are greater works at force than your need to be in control and that's why bhakti or devotion the practice of surrender is the most effective practice because you're just allowing that which is this Adi Buddha, Adi Deva, and Adi Yajya to take the wheel. Let the Divine Mother take control. Let go of the idea that somehow your body will be imperishable. It's perishable. You're going to die. No matter how, you know, how, no matter how uh, the billionaires of the world create new technologies, they, we will never outsmart death although we may convince ourselves of that, death is a natural part of life. And that's Krishna. That's God. You know, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And that's where, uh, you know, Krishna is saying that the, the practice of yoga essentially is the practice of remembering God at the time of death. 
And how do we, you know, prepare for that big moment? One of my Tibetan teachers, he said, nobody knows what will happen on the big day. But one thing is for certain, you know, it'll be exciting. What happens will be exciting. And uh, that really resonated with me. You know, how do we practice remembering God or remembering Krishna or remembering the inner knower or remembering the ad such jugad such hebi such remembering our infinity when we're having an experience, a very real experience of our adibhuta or perishable body? Well, how do we practice that? The practice is by, you know, paying attention to our breathing. The practices of meeting death when it comes around and not trying to ignore it by drinking it away or uh, sexing it away. (laughs) That's a kind of interesting use of the verb. But whatever kind of uh, numbing practice we do to, to try to block it, you know, there in this particular case, a practice of yoga would be to go towards it. You know, it's like this story about Guru Nanak where they're passing the house of a, a known murderer and he convinces spiritual pilgrims to come into his place. And, and he has like a temple and a mosque built so travelers of different faith will come in and pray. And then when they're in the building, he murders them. It sounds like a horror movie <laughs> those of you who know me uh well you know that i love uh i love the horror films and talk about you know a scary premise there's one right there you invite people and and by the way yoga teachers have done this G- gurus and gurus from the east as well not just in the west you know the gurus of hollywood like harvey weinstein and uh, bill cosby and all this kind of nonsense but also the gurus in the East who, you know, wore the robes of a great teacher and also advised um, people not to take, to manipulate their students. And then uh, while they were doing that, you know, and then invite them in, allow them to uh, feel safe and vulnerable and then murder them. It's uh, awful. And so this is what uh, was happening in this particular situation. And Guru Nanak is walking with his uh, sidekick, um, the one who plays the music, so he can teach to the music. Because, you know, Guru Nanak was definitely one of the original uh, DIY traveling, you know, conscious uh, punk rock bands in my opinion because he sang everything and he went out on the road just like how some of the great bands that I love uh, piled into a van and drove all over the place and shared uh, messages of hope and change and political uh, uprising and you know this is very much what Guru Nanak was about and while he's out on his travels he comes a- a- across this place that they've heard about where there people are being invited in to pray and then being killed by this psychopath. And Mardana, who plays the music for him, you know, his lead guitar player, <laughs> he plays the rabab, but, you know, just to put in the in today's context, his lead guitar player, his lead stringed instrument player, the one who carries the tune for the for the message, says, oh, yo, we've heard about this place. We probably shouldn't go in there. And so Guru Nanak, being the wise, uh, you know, 
spiritual meditator that he uh, is and was, he goes, well, if there's a murderer in there, they need our help. And, you know, because they must, to, to do what they're doing, they must be very disturbed. And so we shouldn't avoid them. We should lean into them. I mean, that is a an advanced practice of remembering God at the time of death. And he says, if we're meant to die, it's already decided. That's the hukum. Powerful. I heard somebody recently on a podcast saying that, um, you know, we hear about the angel of death. You know, you think of the grim reaper and that kind of thing. And and some folks um, have a negative connotation or or uh, mental vision of this angel of death. But if you think about it, when we're born, we're born into a perishable body, prakriti, and we're only given so much time. And we only have so much say in that. And that's from the moment we're born. You've heard it said, like, when you're born, you begin dying right away. And this particular teacher, his name's Andre Ram, also a student of Dharma Mitra, like myself. I've never met him in person, but I was really moved by what he said. And what he said was, imagine then if when you're born, what goes with you your whole life, right, is the angel of death. And what if the angel of death is actually your guardian angel? What if your what if the angel of death is actually your close connection to God, preparing you for that time of dying, being there as a companion, available to be friend, should you choose to? And that's the free will part. And if you don't, you can just pretend they're not there and ignore them and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I really think what Krishna is saying is let's let's create a relationship with death. And in doing so, we'll be close to God. And that will bring liberation in that the fear aspect of it well, you know when you like when you're afraid of something and you just push it away and push it away and push it away, it seems a lot scarier than it actually is. But if you just like step to it, usually on the other side of it you're going, it wasn't that big of a deal. And if you could make friends with it, like see Krishna, see your beloved in the face of death, you're unstoppable. You are infinite, born infinite, infinite your whole life, infinite even now, and will always be that. I mean, this is on-point philosophy and insight from Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. It is a major key to living a life of liberation. And he says that the way to do this is through single-pointed meditation. And through single-pointed medit meditation, you will know God, or you will know yourself. Same, same. Same, same. All right, let's take a little break here, and then when we get back, we'll do the second half. 
This is Revealing the Diamond. I'm Tiago Prem, and we'll be right back. All right, just a little reminder at the halfway point that the Tattva Yoga Studies program is in full effect. You can join the online mentoring group, still available. Just go to tattvasyoga.com or send me an email, tiagoprem at tiagoprem.com. And also, online classes, we're going to start doing those September 20th. Uh, it's only $25 a month. The classes are on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And if that's something that uh, you're keen to try out, uh, please join us by going to tatvasyoga.com and become a member of the community today. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sorry if, it, there, if there's been a bit of clanging around in this episode. I, I feel like maybe... I'm I'm not used to sitting at a desk. I'm back at my desk, so some of you know I'm back from Mexico, and I was shooting the other um, episodes just sitting in this beautiful sunroom in Mexico, and I didn't I didn't have any as many things to bang into. So I hope I hope uh, if you're listening in this and headphones that haven't uh, startled you in any way, you know if you're if you're really in a meditative state experiencing this. But if you're like me and you're like washing the dishes or whatever you might be doing while you listen to the podcast, uh, you probably didn't notice, you know, or making coffee in the morning. I like to listen to uh, one of my teachers in the morning after I'm complete with my sadhana and I'm sipping coffee and just just like he's sitting right there in the room with me. It's uh, it's quite a blessing. So anyhow, I'll try and keep the clanging around to a minimum so we ended uh, our part one to this episode by saying that, you know, remembering uh, Krishna or God or the inner nor at the time of death is the practice and, um, you know, for liberation and the way it to really know that aspect of reality, capital R reality, is through single point of meditation. And then I guess the the question is, is, is like, okay, well, then what is meditation? Because some people say, oh, well, just follow your breath. Well, what's happening with the breath? It's, uh, you know, you're listening to your breathing, you're sitting still, you're keeping your uh, back straight, you're, okay, yeah, but w but why? Oh, well, because it will give mental clarity. Okay, but how? Okay, well, I guess, like, you're not having as many distractions. Okay, well, that's good. And what, what does it mean to not have so many distractions? Well, I guess guess you're like becoming more present to the present moment oh okay so you're becoming more present so if i'm really truly present then you know what is true presence capital p it's god y'all <laughs> the presence that is never an absence always present whether you are or not and single-pointed concentration in meditation is really that. It's stripping away the uh, past tripping and future tripping and just being with what is. Well, you don't have any breath in your dreams. You don't have any breath in your memories. 
you don't have any breath in your anxiety in the, uh, about the future. You may be experiencing a different kind of breath in the present because of that anxiety. But the breath is right here, man. That's why they say that the breath is being, you know, uh, closely related to the soul, that the breath carries the soul, or that we call it pranayama uh, when we do uh, breath work exercises. And then if you call it breath work exercises, you know, very experienced practitioners say, well, that word is very limiting because it's not just breath work, it's a deep energetic soul work, um, pranic life force in the body work, as well as breath, which is connected to the soul work. There's a lot going on in there. You know, so pranayama, prana is the life force, and yama is uh, the god of death. So it's like really getting in touch with the presence of life force and the presence of death, the perishable body, or prakriti, and the great spirit, the part of you that is infinite, that is carried on the breath. So meditation, that single point of meditation, is getting in touch with that presence that is never in absence. And in the 13th verse of the uh, chapter 8, Krishna says, through devotion, fastest path to liberation, devotion, the path of love, and the power of meditation, through devotion and the power of meditation, with your mind completely stilled and your concentration fixed in the center of spiritual awareness between the eyebrows, you will realize the Supreme One. So through devotion, the act of uh, practicing divine love, like not possessive like i need to own you or you know a business transaction you do this and i'll do that real true divine love and the power of meditation which is a connection to the presence that is never an absence which can be done through fixed concentration at the center of the eyebrows the spiritual awareness at the center of the eyebrows in doing so you will realize the supreme one you will remember who you are and you've heard me say in previous episodes that the uh, root cause of disease is forgetting who you are, and the experience of yoga is remembering who you are. The practice of remembering who you are, which includes dying. Right? That's a part of your adibhuta experience. Remembering who you are, he says, repeating in this state of meditation, the divine name, the syllable Om, that represents the changeless Brahman, you know, the, great, the great spirit that is always constant. You will go forth from the body and attain the supreme goal. You will remember God, you will remember who you are. And recovery people who are listening to this, that's really where I go with recovery. It's like the addiction is the consistent pattern that is disconnecting you from who you are. That's the addiction, any negative uh, pattern repeated that produces negative results. 
And then the recovery is remembering who you are in relationship to that pattern and creating new patterns that support you to consistently remember who you are. That's the practice of yoga. The practice of realizing God and also that the practice of realizing God is the practice of realizing the true self. And this is done through the practice of devotion, a.k.a. love, a.k.a. compassion. And then Krishna says, you know, there are ways of learning this. So that as you move through karmas, the pain and pleasure of regular everyday living in a body, you will um, find yourself free from delusion, free from forgetting who you are, which is the cause of disease. And these ways of learning, he talks about one way that is like the steadiness of the sun, never changing, recognizing that part of you within. And then the other is more like the moon, and it is always changing, and you go again and again and again and again, and you move through circles and cycles, and you learn as you go. Right? And I mean... Haven't you had that experience? Like some part of you knows exactly who you are and some other part of you keeps forgetting. Those are the two paths. And they're both of benefit. And he says, once you have known these true paths, you can never be deluded again. The part of you, the inner knower, constant, never changing, always knowing. And then the other... Learning the lesson, learning the lesson, learning the lesson. Remember, 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 remember. Once you know these paths, you can never be deluded again. And it will unfold as it's meant to unfold. And for us, the practice becomes being very aware of that and giving it up to God. That's how you transcend the gunas, these constant changes. Hot, cold, up, down, this, good, bad, all of the things, it's all yours. Just take me where you want me. And I recognize that in theory that's easy to say, but it's difficult to do because our egos are very convincing. I'm in control here. And if we get too wrapped up in that game, we forget who we are. And it is the practice of yoga that brings us back. It is the practice of remembering who we are in relationship to death that brings us back. It is, you know, the body is getting stiffer as you age. And you're showing up to do these practices so that the body remains flexible and strong as you age. And yet at the same time, the body is still aging. And so you do the work to maximize the function, you know, work with the Mother Earth, the body that you've been giving, take good care of it so that you can live a full life and yet also recognize that it won't last forever and that's okay. And then he uh, closes this chapter by saying that there is merit in studying the scriptures, much like we're doing right now together. There is merit in selfless service, so doing seva, feeding people, being kind, being a good steward. There's merit in austerity, you know, waking up, doing your sadhana, training the body, training the mind, 
you know, doing challenging things, challenging courses, challenging inner work, being generous, he says. There's merit in it. But the practice of meditation carries you beyond all of these to the supreme abode of the highest one. This constant remembering, that constant remembering supports all of those practices. If you're reading the scriptures to because you're supposed to, you won't gain the same benefit. If you're reading the scriptures because you want everybody to, you know, say, oh, wow, aren't they a great scholar? Oh, look at all of their accolades. Bravo. You may be missing out on the benefit of or the essence of the scriptures. I read a great quote that a friend shared with me online the other day that said, uh, there are two types of fools. The one takes religion literally, and then the other claims that religion is false. So one says it's absolutely true, and then the other says it's absolutely BS. And those are both the fools. There's truth in everything if we know how to look. You see? Or the uh, austerities, or even the selfless service, if we're doing it for recognition or because we're supposed to, it doesn't have the same rasa, the same juice, the same depth. If we're doing the practice because we want everybody to celebrate, you know, our tight abs and our, you know, fancy poses on Instagram, it doesn't have the same liberating quality the same way as if we give up on our bodies because we say, oh, well, I just give it to God and so I'll just sit and eat donuts and, and chant and not care for my body. You have a body to care for. And sometimes that body will take donuts and sometimes, you know, sadhana and all of the things. Uh, but the give it to God is care for your vessel you know, you're not going to throw trash into your garden and say, well, God will take care of it. If you tend to the garden, it will bear fruit. And it will feed you. Same with your life. If you tend to your body, it will feed you. You see? But it is the remembering practice of who you are that is the yoga, the return to the natural state, the return to God, the remembering of the infinity that is in the mother nature, that is in the great spirit, and seeing it even in the fluctuations of karma, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, it is all the beloved. That becomes the practice, and this is achieved ultimately through remembering. You know, sitting, watching the space between the eyebrows, doing the practices as an act of devotion, being kind, being of service as an act of devotion, chanting, whatever it is that you do. May it be an act of devotion, an act of remembering who you really are.
And that brings us to the end of this Chapter 8 episode of the Bhagavad Gita. Look forward to seeing all of you in the Tattva's Yoga Studies programs. You can find out more by going to tattvasyoga.com or send me an email, tiagoprem at tiagoprem.com. I look forward to seeing you all in Victoria, September 23rd and 24th at Ma Yoga, and then also September 30th in Tawasin um, at Union Yoga, and then I'll be back in Kelowna at Pranify August 3rd. Or 14th, August 14th to the 23rd. If you live outside of Canada, you can always do tattvas online. There's great options for that online classes, online mentorship, do the full program, whatever makes sense for you. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next week for chapter nine of the Bhagavad Gita right here on Revealing the Diamond. Lots of love. We'll see you soon. <laughs>